And it was Jesus that said, watch therefore and pray always that you may be worthy to escape the, the wrath that is to come and stand before the Son of Man. And he said that right after he talked about the tribulation period. And he says, there's a way to escape. And that is he's going to take his bride away. So we don't have to go through the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of God as he pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. And even as we know that we're to watch and be ready because I come at a time that you do not know. So all this comfort, and Paul would say concerning the day of the Lord that we are not appointed to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And that's what we're going to do. So, Father, we thank you for, um, Lord, just you give us our future that's before us. And we don't know all the intricate, minute details, but we know that, Lord, that these things will come to pass. And we as Christians, that we can know our future is wonderful. But also, it's very sobering to know that there's going to be a very difficult time that will come. And so, Lord, we want to be able to give truth to others, to have a proper perspective, not to be drawn into the things that uh, are taken out of context, but, Lord, to be wise and to be discerning um, in the things that the Scripture says. So I thank you that we can be here tonight as we talk about these things, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the, the millennium reign, as we talk about the establishment of the Lord uh, as he will rule and reign over the earth uh, with a rod of iron. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in chapter 61, we, we ended in verse 3. Let me read it to you. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness and the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So Isaiah has been warning the nation, because of your disobedience, you are going to go off into captivity by the Babylonians. But here Isaiah, that he remembered as we gone through this book he speaks of near fulfillments of, of prophecy that would happen with the Babylonian captivity then he talks about future fulfillment and here he's talking about future fulfillment that God's people are going to go through a very difficult time and, and we end it with talking about beauty for ashes that the Lord is one that for the nation he's going to make beauty out of the ashes and matter of fact what is interesting that you read some rabbinical scholars that they think that perhaps that that's a specific reference and prophecy to the Holocaust. That as the Jews in Europe were put into the ovens, that now we see that they are a nation. They have been brought, been brought back into the land, and the land has been blossoming. Uh, the nation is prosperous. It is strong. And he has made beauty for ashes. But we do know that the ultimate fulfillment is going to be when the Lord comes back and restores the nation of Israel. But I do want to say this. That he does make, as we discussed last week, beauty out of the ashes. He's the one that restores. Let's continue to read in verse 4. That they shall rebuild the old ruins and they shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. So they, they come back into the land. Again, a partial fulfillment. Though those ancient sites and ruins, it's amazing. Because when you go to Israel, and if you go with us next year in October, that they like to call 
call it Israel, not the Holy Lands. I mean, there's nothing wrong with calling it the Holy Lands. But they, the Jews like when we say Israel because it ties the new with the old. And you can go to where those ancient cities that are mentioned in the scriptures and where they are excavating and archaeologists are doing studies. And right next to them are the new cities that are being built up. And it's amazing how they um, are turning the, the desert into agricultural fields and, and fruit and all of that. It's absolutely um, just amazing as you go there how they're rebuilding and restoring. But I do want to say this for you and for me here today, that the Lord specializes in that. To rebuild, to restore, to refresh our lives. When it feels like, Lord, this situation is ruined, or I've ruined my life, or it's broken down, our Lord is desolate. That the Lord specializes in restoring, renewing the lives of those who've been burnt and broken down. And I, I'm so thankful for that. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, verse 5. And the sons of your foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory you shall boast. And instead of your shame you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess double everlasting joy shall be theirs. And so we see here as we read this that um, the, it mentions the priest. We know that in Ezekiel it's going to talk about the millennium temple and the priests again that are going to be ministering. But here's the thing that you and I, do you realize that we are called priests as well in the New Testament? You're familiar with 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are called a royal priesthood. And then in Revelation chapter 5 when we get there we see this heavenly scene and I believe that's the church that is in heaven that's singing that song because out of every tongues, tribes, peoples and nations you have redeemed us by your blood. Who is that? That's the church. It's not the the song of Israel is not the song of angels. It is the song of the church. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ out of every tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations. And you have made us a kingdom of priests is what the song goes on to say, that new song. And when we get there, we'll go over that portion of scripture. I would encourage you to memorize that new song because we're going to be singing it when we get to heaven. So I want to I kind of get a head start on everybody. I don't want to be up there kind of like a country bunker and not knowing what to sing in the words. But, but the new song that we will be saying is that we are a kingdom of priests. And you see, we are a royal priesthood. And the priests in the Old Testament, they had two main responsibilities. One was is that they were to represent the people before God. And that's what you and I are to do. We are to pray for people. That's what the priests of the Old Testament did. They, they prayed for people. They sacrificed on behalf of the people. Uh, they interceded on behalf of the people. And what you and I are to do is that you are to sacrifice, that is, that you're to serve others. And you're to pray for others and intercede on behalf of them. And then the second responsibility that they had was they were to represent God before the people. In other words, they were to tell the heart of God to them. And declare God's truth and God's word. 
And that's something that you and I can do, that we can tell people of his love and compassion and his provision for them. We can give them truth out of God's word. So we're a kingdom of priests that the Lord desires to use. And then as we see that God's people will have double honor and there will be a time of great rejoicing. But we continue in verse 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offerings. I will direct their work in truth and will make it the, uh, with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. And as we read this, there's going to be justice and righteousness in the kingdom age. I can't wait. I can't wait as he's going to come in righteousness, Isaiah has said, is going to cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And justice, there's going to be justice, true justice, real justice that is going to be in the kingdom made because he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. But I, I don't want us to miss there in verse 8, we see that I will direct their work in truth. That's very important that as we serve the Lord, as we live the for the Lord, as we move out, desiring to please the Lord and whatever he has for us, listen, it needs to be in truth. Well, my prayer is that he directs us in truth because sometimes as Christians, and, and perhaps I hear this a lot, they'll come and say, well, the Lord's directing me to do this and I, I feel you know, the prompting of the Lord and I feel this way and I think God's saying this. And as you compare it to God's word, we know that it's contrary to the way that God wants them to live or uh, how to, to react and, and do in this situation, uh, that God's word tells us how it is that that we are to live and, and the direction that we can go, we want to make sure that we're being directed in truth, not because the, cult, the culture tells us to go in this direction or because of feelings, but we are to make sure that, Lord, is this really from you? And Lord, I can search your word and I can search your truth to make sure that I'm in line because it's wonderful as Christians. We have God's word given to us so we don't have to be deceived. We don't have to be fooled. We don't have to walk in darkness, but we can walk in truth. And as verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord and my soul shall be joyful in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And so we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he has clothed us. We, we didn't purchase it ourselves. He's clothed me. He's covered me. And the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Verse 11. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. And so, you know, spring forth and, and, and buds, what does that speak of when we're in springtime? It speaks of new life. The newness of life that we have in Christ only comes as we believe in him, as we're rejoicing in him. As he says that my soul will rejoice and I pray that our souls are joyful. We rejoice in him and the salvation that has been provided for us. He's clothed me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Isn't that wonderful poetic language that, that speaks of how 
valuable, how wonderful our salvation is, how we rejoice. Because the wedding, you know, when you see a bride and, and a, uh, the, the groom, it's a time of rejoicing, isn't it? It's a time of great celebration. And I hope and pray that we're always rejoicing and thankful for the salvation that has been provided for us because he's the one that closes with the garments of salvation. In chapter 62, we read, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. And so as we get into chapter uh, 62, he's speaking about uh, the assurance of salvation that comes to Jerusalem, to Israel. Verse 2, the Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings, your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. And we'll see that in a little bit. And sh you shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. So the Lord's going to bring them out of their captivity and again, speaking of a future fulfillment that the Lord's not going to rest until Jerusalem is restored and is shining forth in righteousness. And so we know that Jerusalem will be restored in the kingdom age, that Jesus will sit upon the throne of David in Jerusalem, and all the nations are going to see it. And so as we look at this, it's just a wonderful promise that is given. And then the, verse 3, you shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem. We read that. In the hand of your God. Verse 4, you shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hezabah, and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you. And for your land shall be married, at, for as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I love these verses here. God is telling us, listen, how he delights in his people. He's telling us how much he delights in you and me. The land's going to be restored. The days of forsaken and desolate will one day is going to pass. The nation's restoration will be as joyful as a wedding here. And you shall be called Hezebah, which means my delight is in her, and Beulah, which means married. Now, it's interesting here because he's talking about as they've gone through a very difficult time. We see here that the captivity will come. Eventually, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies are going to surround Jerusalem. They're going to destroy Jerusalem, level the city, and destroy Solomon's temple. We know that Jeremiah speaks a lot about that. He warns the king of, of Judah, as well as the other kings, Moab and the other nations, do not resist Nebuchadnezzar, but just submit to him. And if you do, it'll be okay. But if not, if you rebel against him, then there's going to be death and devastation and destruction like you've never seen. And Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Just as Isaiah is given these prophecies, he's weeping. And they would go through that very, very dark time with three waves of captivity in 605 B.C., 597 B.C., the second wave of captivity. That's where Ezekiel went off in the captivity 
captivity back into Babylon. And then finally, when the last king of Judah rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar came in in 586 BC and destroyed Jerusalem and leveled the city. Well, they would eventually come back. They would restore uh, the, the city, rebuild the, the wall around the city after the temple was built and rebuild the streets. Nehemiah was a big part of that. And then Jerusalem became another incredible, beautiful city. And then the second temple was built and Herod the Great remodified the temple. It was one of the wonders of the world. And Titus and the Roman legions in 70 AD came in and destroyed Jerusalem that time, leveled the city. The temple was destroyed. You've heard me tell of references that we read about Josephus, the Jewish historian, that 1.1 million Jews were killed at that time. It was an awful time. And 100,000 Jews were taken off into captivity and Israel ceased to become a nation once again. So here it's speaking about all the difficulties they've gone through, the, the, the trials they've gone through. And so now a miracle took place in Isaiah 66. What we're going to read is that Isaiah says, can a nation be born in one day? And now the ashes of the Holocaust came to beauty. That after World War II, awful, six million Jews. Again, if you go to Israel with us, one of the things that we will do is we'll go through the Holocaust Museum. Absolutely moving, incredible as you go through that museum. They make every high school student go through the Holocaust Museum. And then again, everyone who's in the military, which everyone in Israel goes into the military, go through the Holocaust Museum. And there's a purpose for doing that, that now we are a nation. Now we've come back into the land. And as the Jews were coming out of the ashes of the Holocaust, they were coming into Israel. And we'll talk more about it when we get to chapter 66. And then uh, the British mandate that they would leave. And when the last British soldier left on May 14, 1948, then Ben-Gurion would declare independence of Israel because the plan of the League of Nations or the United Nations is that this portion will be Palestine, this portion will be Israel, Israel said, yes, we will take that plan. The Palestinians and the Arab nations said, no, we're going to push them into the sea. And Ben-Gurion would declare independence. It's an incredible story how a nation was born in one day and they were attacked by all those Arab nations all around them. But as Amos says that when they come back into the land, they're going to stay there. They're going to be planted. They're not going to leave again. And God's hand has been on them and God has been working through them. And, and of course, you have all those things that have taken place. But what happened in 1967, something very significant happened. And that is part of Jerusalem, particularly East Jerusalem, where the Temple Mount was, where Solomon's Temple was, where Herod's Temple was, uh, where the Western Wall is that you see today. All that was under Jordanian rule. It, was, it belonged to Jordan. There was a green line. And in the Six-Day War, when Israel took that portion of Jerusalem and, of course, the rest of the what is called the West Bank to the Jordan River, that for the very first time, the very first time in 2,500 years that they sovereignly ruled over Jerusalem. For the very first time since 586 B.C. or actually 605 B.C. 
There's always somebody that ruled over them. Babylonians, then the Medo-Persians, then the Grecians, then the Romans, then they were off out of their homeland for 2,000 years. And just as the prophets of old talks about they would come back into the land, and we see that they are strong now, but they are going to go through tremendous difficulties in the tribulation period where Zechariah talks about them going through the fire. They will go through tremendous persecution and they will find themselves isolated to where Zechariah says that Jerusalem will become a cup of trembling. It will be very, very difficult. Matter of fact, Zechariah will read about, indicates that when the Antichrist goes after the Jews and the tribulation saints, that is going to be two out of every three Jews that are going to be put to death. That's what some interpreted to mean. There's going to be a remnant that's going to the rock city of Petra. That If we get to the next chapter here, that's what it speaks about, is they're going to be hiding out, is the Lord's going to be protecting them. And you know what's real sobering, folks? Whether that prophecy of Zechariah is really what it's speaking of, the two out of three will go through the fire. That when you're sitting there, and I'm sitting there at the Holocaust Museum, and I've seen these high school kids come flooding out, and I'm wondering, are they going to be the ones? Are they going to be the ones that are going to go through that very difficult time? And it's very sobering, and, and, and you know, it causes you to have a broken heart and, and to wonder and to pray. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They're going to be Israel restored. Their eyes will be open eventually, but they will go through a very, very, very difficult time where Jesus said it will be great tribulation such as the world has never seen or will ever again. But he's going to come back. And he delights in them. And he speaks of that time when their eyes are going to be opened up. And so shall your sons marry you. And your bridegroom rejoices over the bride. So shall your God rejoice over you. What is interesting, I was thinking about this this afternoon as, as I was looking at this. That Jerusalem shall be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. And I'm thinking that name sounds familiar. Where does it sound familiar? And I remember 2 Kings chapter 21. That was the wife of Hezekiah. That was her name. Her name, that means my delight is in her. And Hezekiah was a good king. He was a godly king. But at the end of his life, remember that we went over in chapters 38 and 39 of Isaiah that it was Hezekiah that he got sick. And, and here comes Isaiah and says, get your house in order. You're going to die, Hezekiah. And he chirped like a bird. He prayed to the Lord. He said, Lord, I don't want to die. And the Lord came back and said, okay, Hezekiah, Isaiah, tell him he's going to live for another 15 years. And in those 15 years, a couple of significant things happened. Number one was the invoice from Babylon, you remember chapter 39, came to see Hezekiah to congratulate him on being healed of his sickness. And Hezekiah, and the indication is in his pride, would show them all the, the treasuries of the house house of the Lord and in the temple, all the gold, everything. And Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, who are those guys? Oh, they're just envoys from this faraway empire, this little empire called Babylon. And what did you show them, Hezekiah? Isaiah says, everything. 
all the gold and silver, all the riches, the blessings during my, you know, rule, not knowing, not being wise that the envoys are going, hmm, okay, we're recording all of this. So where there was a good record of it, where Babylon came in, they took the treasuries of the house away, and that's what Isaiah said. It's going to come. It's going to come. It's going to happen, and the choice men of Judah are going to be taken away into captivity. And instead of Hezekiah being brokenhearted over that, he says, whew, as Isaiah says, it's not going to be in your lifetime, Hezekiah, but it is going to come. Hezekiah says, whew, at least there'll be peace. At least I'll be okay. He should have had a broken heart saying, oh, no. That the day is going to come when our young men are going to be taken captive and all of this is going to be gone and Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. He should have been weeping over it. And I hope that for you and for me, as we talk about these things that can be kind of heavy and you think about it, and there is going to be the tribulation period, I don't believe we're going to go through the tribulation. I believe he's going to take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ that he's going to take the church and the rapture of the church and then the tribulation period will come after that. And we know that Israel will be the focus again, Daniel's 70th week. It's important to understand what Daniel chapter 9, those last four verses are telling us in that timetable that is given to us. Otherwise, you're going to get all goofed up and mixed up and come up with all kinds of bizarre things about the timing of the return of the Lord. But the the Lord can come for the church at any time and he has a plan for Israel. We know that there will be many that are going to be saved in the tribulation period, tribulation saints, but the churches in heaven were with the Lord. We are the bride of Christ. He's not going to pour out his wrath on his bride. But we are ones that we are appointed to salvation. So all these things that we'll talk about in detail, but I do, as I was thinking about Hezebah, uh, here she was the wife of Hezekiah. The second thing that was significant is they had a son called Manasseh. Manasseh was the worst. Ruled for 55 years, plunged the nation deep into great perversity, idolatry, you know, occultic practices, burning their children on the arms of Moloch in the Valley of Gehenna, trashed out the temple, closed the temple up. He was terrible. But then something happened with him. And you read about it in, you know, Second Chronicles chapter 33. That Manasseh was taken off as they put hooks, the king of Assyria, in, in him and bronze and fetters and took him into captivity. And it was during that time of captivity that actually Manasseh called on the name of the Lord and he repented and he turned to the Lord. Absolutely amazing. And he was able to come back for a very short time and he was to he ruled for a very short time he ruled for 55 years but for a short time he brought the lord back to the you know into the nation and got rid of the idols and the people were still burning incense and doing all kinds of false worship in the high places but he 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 came back to the lord he was humbled that amazes me and it tells me something that that person that you're praying for, that you think they're so far gone, 
They're, they're involved in all kinds of perversity and hard-heartedness and all of this. The Lord can still get a hold of them and humble them. So I want to encourage you, don't stop praying for them. Because no one is too far gone for the Lord to get a hold of their hearts. You keep praying for them. Keep lifting them up to the Lord. So here is the new name of Jerusalem. But I also, as he talks about, that the Lord your God shall rejoice over you. I hope that we understand that the Lord rejoices over you. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. We know that Jude in his little epistle says, From him who is able to keep you from stumbling will present you faultless before his presence joy with what? Oh, there's Jeff. How did you make it up here? Ah, oh, you know, here he is. No, he's going to present us faultless with exceeding joy. And listen, when we go home to be with the Lord, there's going to be great rejoicing. The Son's going to introduce you to the Father. Not that you need introducing. Because you see, he's our advocate. He's our intercessor. Think about this. He prays for you and for me. Never ceases. Your name, your name is uttered at the throne of God. That amazes me. And one day we're going to be standing in His glory and the Father and the Son are going to rejoice over you. And I think, Lord, me, because I'm not special, but the Lord says that I'm going to rejoice over you. You're like a bride. There's going to be rejoicing. There's going to be singing, Zephaniah. The Lord's going to be singing over you. So I hope and pray that you never doubt the love of God for you and how he delights in you. And we're going to talk about that a little bit on Sunday when we read those wonderful words that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if he died for you while you're a sinner, not when we were at our best, don't you know that he loves you so much now? So here we're encouraged over this. And I have set a watchman over your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. And you who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent. And give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So he's going to set a watchman over your walls. And, uh, of course, the watchmen were to be on the walls to warn, to, to, to blow the trumpets. You and I, we are called to be watchmen on the wall. I hope that you are. That dads, that you're a watchman. Parents in your home. That we're a watchman to others. Telling people of impending danger. This will deceive you, warning people, giving truth to others. You and I are to be called watchmen. We're to be on the wall, warning people. And here we read that the Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength, surely I will no longer give your grain as food for your enemies and your sons for the foreigner shall not drink your new wine for 
which you have labored. It reminds me here, verse 8, and probably does with you with Gideon. Remember Gideon, that the Midianites were coming in and they were robbing the harvest and they were hiding up in the hills and he's threshing, you know, the wheat up there, hiding in the caves. You would be down in the valley to thresh the wheat at harvest time, but they were so scared of the Midianites, Midianites who came in with their new secret weapon, the camel, and they would take the harvest away. They were doing that for seven years. And here is Gideon, and the Lord shows up to Gideon and says, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. I'm going to use you to save Israel from the Midianites. And Gideon's going, who, me? Because I am the least of my family. My family's the least in our tribe. And our tribe is the least of all of the 12 tribes. I'm the least of the least. And the Lord says, I'm going to make you a mighty man of valor. I'm going to use you, Gideon. And you're going to be used in a mighty way. You know, I think the angels in heaven just, they had to scratch their heads as, here, Gideon? That's the message to Gideon? The angel of the Lord coming and saying, I'm going to use you, mighty man of valor. And they're probably all up there snickering and laughing. And Gideon, but he chooses the foolish things of the world, doesn't he? To confound the wise. And he chooses the weak things of the world to put down the strong. And the things that are not to put to naught the things that are. That no man will glory in his presence. He loves to use the weak and the foolish things. People like you and me in a mighty way. Why? Because he's a mighty God. He loves to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things for him. And that excites me. Because perhaps there's somebody sitting here tonight, you're thinking, God could never use me. He doesn't care about me. He, he's not interested in me. Listen, he delights in you. And he loves you. And desires to use you. And I am thoroughly convinced, I think one of the reasons that the Lord has me up here for all this time is that when people see anything that is of you know, good for the kingdom of God, that it, it isn't me that can boast. It's like, if the Lord can use him, then he can use me to be an encouragement to you. It was Paul that said, I'm the least of the apostles. I, I feel like I'm the least of the pastors. As You know, I, I'm so blessed to be a part of this Calvary Chapel and the pastors and the relationships I have. And I, I really believe I'm the least of the pastors. And I am very thankful every day that the Lord has allowed me to be here and to be used of him in any way. Because I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. And I know this, that he uses the foolish and weak things of the world. And I hope that's an encouragement to you. He delights in you, he loves you, and he wants to use you. He hasn't called us all to be pastors, but he wants to use you where he has planted you. You are here for such a time as this. And he wants to use you to the people that are linked to you in your life. Will you trust in him and look to him and know that he delights in you? And desires to use you in a wonderful way. And in verse, as we continue 10, 
um, verse 9 first, but those who have gathered it shall eat it in the praise of the Lord. Those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts and go through and go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up the banner for the peoples. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him. His work is before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought, sought out, a city not forsaken. So again, speaking of the time that Israel will be the crowning jewel of the nations where the Lord will reign from. But I like what he says here. Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him. Does that remind you? Revelation chapter 22, some of the last words of Jesus that he says, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to those who believe on him, who have served him. His reward is with them. Now, we can't earn our salvation. There's nothing that we can do. But with that said, there are rewards that are going to be given to us. And Jesus talked a whole lot about that in the parable of the minas and the parable of the talents. And in that, he says this to those faithful servants that invested what was given to them. The talents speak of gifts and, and, and that he's given to us and opportunities that he's given to us to serve him. The mina, which is a different parable that he talked about there in Luke, uh, I believe chapter 19, the people were expecting Jesus. They're getting ready to go from Jericho up to, to Jerusalem uh, right before his triumphal entry. They're expecting Jesus to usher in the, the kingdom of God right away. So Jesus stops and he says, I'm going to tell you a parable that there was a nobleman that went away to receive a, a country, a kingdom, and he gave each of his servants a mina, and then he would come back and they would give an account. Very similar to the parable of the talents, and the parable of the minas, I think, speaks of the gospel, speaks of God's word. We each have the gospel message to give. The parable of the talents is a little bit different, the gifts and opportunities that he's given to us. And he gave some 10 and some 5 and some 2, but as he would come back in each of those parables, the, the, the king, the, the nobleman, that he would have those servants give an account, right? And the ones who invested, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. For you've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And you're going to rule over ten cities. And you're going to rule over five cities. And you're going to rule over two cities. So it's making connection to when the Lord comes back, he's going to come back with his rewards for what we have done for Christ in this life. It's not talking about salvation. It's talking about being rewarded and we're going to rule and reign with him. And even as that song in Revelation chapter 5, we will rule and reign with him, speaks of that. We see it all throughout the scriptures. The only time that we're going to rule and reign with Jesus is in the millennium kingdom. We're going to reign with him forever, but to rule, to administrate. We're going to be ruling over 10 cities and 5 cities and 2 cities. And whatever that means, we're going to be given duties to do as he rules and reigns. And that's what's being spoken of here. He's going to reward us. So what we do now is in preparation for that. So be a good steward of what God has given to you. And where he has placed you. And it's not too late to be investing. 
In other words, prioritize the kingdom of God because this world is not where it's at. This world's going to come to an end. It's going to come to a drastic end. And the Lord's going to establish his kingdom and we get to rule and reign with him. We're going to be administrating. Paul says that we're going to be judging angels. Uh, that means that we're going to be bossing angels around, perhaps. You, angel, go do this, and you go do that. And, you know, what cities will we reign over? I'm putting my bid in already for Yellowstone up in that area because I love that area. So don't be praying for that. That's what I'm praying for. <laughs> Pastor Chuck used to say he was praying for Hawaii. So Pastor Chuck has Hawaii. I got Yellowstone. But no, we don't know. Whatever the Lord has, it's going to be wonderful. That's our future, folks. I see so many Christians that are so caught up in the world. They don't have time for the Lord. They don't have time to serve the Lord. They have time to serve others. We live in such a self-consuming kind of day in our culture today and the church has adopted it unfortunately you know one of the things we're going to see and this really saddens me that there are more and more churches as a trend that we're seeing that on Christmas Eve what they do is they'll have all these tickets that they'll give to people draw them in and it's like all these prizes and you can win a car you can win a motorcycle and they'll call your number out and everybody's jumping up and down and that's how they're drawing people in I think really and that's not everyone Lord, I pray for you and I that we would keep priority the Lord and our eyes on him because he's coming back and he's coming back with his reward. And I desire to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things, but I'm going to make you ruler over many. Come enter into the joy of your Lord and he who is able to keep you from stumbling will present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. Enter into the joy of your Lord, and the Lord's going to rejoice over you and me, and rewards are going to be given to us, and we're going to rule and reign with him. And then the heavens and the earth, as we now know it, as Peter says, are going to dissolve in a fervent heat, and he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, and there we're going to dwell with him forever and ever. Do you see why every day we can rejoice for our salvation? Be joyful, because that's our future. And there are people around us, listen, there are people around us that don't have that hope. So I pray that we would tell them that the Lord came and died for you. Why? Because he delights in you. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he died for you. And we have the best news to deliver to anyone on the face of the earth that's ever been proclaimed. That Jesus Christ has died for your sins. And he conquered sin and death. And he wants to forgive you and save you. And bring you into a living hope. So Father, we thank you. Lord, we didn't get as far as I hoped, but that's okay because these, these verses are so incredible. And I do pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged knowing that you delight in us, that you love us, that you're coming back, your son. I promise he would. 
We thank you for Jesus' first coming, born as the babe of Bethlehem. And he came for a purpose as the suffering Messiah that would come and die for us. But he is going to come back as the reigning Messiah. And I pray for us that we would keep our eyes on you, Lord. Rejoice in our salvation and keep you the priority of every area of our lives. Lord, I thank you for these words that are given to us. And it's not to scare us or to bum us out. It's to prepare us and to comfort us. We have a wonderful future. And we can delight in what you have for us, Lord. Not only in saving us, but rewarding us. Lord, just you delight in us. May we never forget that. And I do want to pray if there is anyone here, because I know that there's those who are listening, maybe on social media, on the website, in the coffee shop here in the sanctuary, later on the radio, that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. He came because he loves you and he died for you. He died for your sins. And he was put into a grave and he rose again and he conquered sin and death. And he proved that he's the son of God. And you see, no one else died for you. No one else provided forgiveness. No one else can save you. Nothing else. Only Jesus. He is your salvation and he loves you. And it's a free gift. We talk about gifts this time of the year. But Paul writes in Ephesians that it's a free gift, salvation. It's not of works, lest any of us should boast. It's by grace through faith, not of ourselves. And he's calling you that if you call in the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And today is the day of salvation. To recognize your need to be forgiven. To turn to him. Repent, that's what that word means. Turn to him and surrender your life to him. Quit going in the direction you're going. Quit thinking you can save yourself or that God doesn't care about me, can never save me. Listen, all manner of sin he died for. And he died for you specifically and he's calling you to come. And surrender your life to him and ask for forgiveness. You can do that right where you are. That Jesus, you pray this sincerely in your heart. I come to you And I ask that you would forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. I have sinned. I believe you did die for me. And you're alive speaking to my heart. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for forgiving me. Proclaiming your love for me. And proving it by going to the cross for me. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. And I thank you for this new beginning in Jesus' name. And listen, if you prayed that prayer, maybe you're listening on live stream, maybe you're listening social media, maybe you're listening on radio, I want you to call us at the church. We're easy to find. Calvary Chapel Greeley. Talk to us. Tell us the decision you made. But if you're here tonight and you made that decision, come up, tell the prayer team because we want to help you and bless you and encourage you. 
And for all of us, Lord, may we leave this place rejoicing in our salvation. For you have clothed us with the robes of righteousness. It's not our own robes. It's not our own righteousness. It's your righteousness imputed to us through faith. And rejoicing that you delight in us. And rejoice over us and sing over us. So Lord, bless your people as we go. And may we give that message to others through the love of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?